Jesus turns water into wine, like about 120 gallons of the stuff. And he heals the son of a royal official. So Jesus feeds 5,000 people, plus with this one lunch of a poor kid. And it really ticks off the religious people. You'd think they'd be happy, but they're not. It's not just an internet story. It's not fake news. It's not very different than the world we live in right now today. You know, the book of John is an incredible book, uh, as all 66 are. But John, when he tells the story of Jesus, he, he does it in a particularly different way. In fact, around half of the book of John is dedicated to the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, what we call Holy Week, the, the week leading up to the events of the crucifixion uh, and, and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and, and from chapter 12 to, to the end of the book of John, chapter 21, um, you have this, this incredible section of John that's just dedicated to that last week. Pretty much half of his gospel book. So that makes that last week incredibly important. And what I want to read to you now is actually from that last week of Jesus' life. And this is what it says in John chapter 12 and verse 37. Now, this is what it says. I'll just read it to you and then we'll, then we'll talk about it. Despite all the miraculous signs that Jesus had done, most of the people still wouldn't believe in him. <laughs> like, despite all the miraculous signs that Jesus had done, over three years of ministry, in this last week of his life, still most people wouldn't believe in him. That's, that's quite the incredible statement, really. Um, in different versions, it says, despite all the evidence, in others, it says, even though he did all these things. So, so let's look just very briefly, drive by, if you like, of all the evidence that Jesus gave to back up the claims that he made. We'll stay in the book of John so we don't have to flip around too much. But in chapter two of John, Jesus turns water into wine, like about 120 gallons of the stuff. Uh, which tells you something about the nature of Jesus, that he liked to be around a good party. So he does this incredible miracle, and the news of this spreads. And then you go to chapter 4 of John, and, and he heals the son of a royal official. Now, that probably caused quite a stir in the company of the royal court, that Jesus heals the son of a royal official. Then, in John chapter five, he heals a man who's been crippled and paralyzed 
lying next to a pool in a place called Bethesda. He's been lying there for 37 years and Jesus comes along and he heals this man. The crowds go wild with all this stuff. Then in, in John chapter six, as, as Michael talked about last week, Jesus comes along and feeds 5,000 people with a, a small boy's packed lunch, barley loaves and a couple of fishes. And I know, I know what people say, it wasn't really a miracle that when, uh, when all the crowd saw this little lad give up his lunch to Jesus, that they all felt bad and they all took out their packed lunches. And I've heard all that theory before. And if that's true, then why did all that crowd follow him to try and get free food the next day? Just doesn't make any sense. So Jesus feeds 5,000 people plus with this one lunch of a poor kid. Wow. No wonder they tried to force him to be their king. Then he, later on in that story, he, he goes and walks on water. Now, hey, go and try this at your local pool, but only do it if you can swim. Um, uh, and, and you try, it's, it's a tough trick. Uh, and he walks on water. In, in John chapter nine, he, he meets a man who's been born blind and he heals him. And it really ticks off the religious people because they couldn't do that, you see? And, and, and then, because they were so annoyed about it, um, you'd think they'd be happy, but they're not. They're so annoyed about it that they carefully investigate it and they find out it's actually true. It's not just an internet story. It's not fake news. This is, this is something they investigate and they find out it's a genuine miracle. And still, they won't believe it. Then, in John chapter 12, earlier in the same chapter that we're reading from, Jesus gets on a donkey that's never been ridden before and rides it into the town of Jerusalem and the whole city is in uproar because of his arrival. An incredible thought. And despite all of that evidence, people, and the language used here, is it's like there's a stubborn, refusal to accept the evidence that's right in front of their eyes. The incredible evidence, the beauty that God displays, people's absolute stubborn refusal to, to accept what Jesus said. It's quite amazing. Now, it, it was so controversial. And the things he did and the evidence that he gave was so controversial that in these verses right here, it tells us that it divides people basically into two main groups. And Michael was right last week when he talked about this. You see, the gospel writers want to put us in a position to say, hey, look, here's the evidence, make a choice. See what you think of it as evidence and make a choice. And the two main groups that came out in the stories of Jesus' life were these. One of the groups was this was, hey, arrest him and silence him. And if we have to, we'll kill him to shut him up. The other group was, hey, let's follow him. Now you might think that's pretty extreme, but really, really, truly, when you think about it, 
It's not very different than the world we live in right now today. All over society, people want to quieten down and shut up the message of the gospel. It's, 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 it's socially controversial. It's, uh, it's like quieting it down. Let's get it out of our schools. Let's, let's stop having happy Christmas. Uh, let, let's take all those things out of the way. I wonder how long it'll be that we'll be able to celebrate Easter. Quieten the message or follow him. <laughs> and, and that's the choice we face. But it says this in these verses. It says that some of the people believed what he was saying. Some of them did. Even some of the Jewish religious leaders. But they were afraid and they kept silent. Well, why would they keep silent? Well, they kept silent because of this. And this is what it says. And it uses a really funny word. It says that they were afraid that they would be put out of the synagogue. That's in verse 42. Many people, see, I'm not lying. Many people did believe in him. However, including some of the Jewish leaders. So they did. However, they kept silent because they didn't want to admit it because of fear of the Pharisees, the religious people that would expel them from the synagogue. Now the synagogue was this, was this social and religious setting. Now, why would they be afraid of being thrown out of a religious setting? Well, quite simply this, Jesus never asked people to join a religious system. He never asked them, hmm, I don't know if I can say that really, Because following Jesus is a religious decision, but it's a religious decision that's based on a relationship that God wants to have with me, you and us. But Jesus never invited people to join a dead, empty, dry religious system. So the people who believed in him were afraid that if they followed the teaching of Jesus, that they would be thrown out of the religious systems. Well, that makes you think. You see, I'm not interested in following a dry, lifeless, religious form. But I am interested in having a relationship with God. I am interested in having a relationship with the person who created all of this through his son, Jesus. That, that's what I'm interested in. And that's what he invites us to be part of and some of the people, even in Jesus' day, believed it, and some of them didn't, and some of them believed it, but they kept quiet. Now, why would they keep quiet? Other than being afraid to be thrown out of the religious system, there is another reason. In the face of all this evidence, even though they knew it was true, and even though they were desperate to find out more, it gives us a reason why people were still afraid to say that they wanted to follow Jesus. <laughs> now listen to this, because I find this really interesting and fascinating, and I hope you will too. This is what it says, now listen. I'll read again from verse 42 of chapter 12, and I'll read down to the end 
of the, of the next verse, which is 43, okay? So many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit to it for fear that the Pharisees, the religious people, would expel them from the synagogue, the religious and social system. Now remember that, because that's important. They were afraid of being expelled from the social system. Remember that. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. <laughs> they loved praise from human beings more than they valued friendship and praise from God. Wow. Wow. They loved praise from human beings and acceptance from human beings more than they valued acceptance and love from God through Christ Jesus. You might think, well, what has that got to do with me? Let me tell you something. We live, and you know this, uh, we live in a society that is based on likes. It's tragic, absolutely tragic, the lengths that some people will go to on social media just to get enough likes. And if they don't get those likes, they get depressed. We live in a society that is based on likes. Now, before we start pointing fingers at social media, for decades, for decades, even before social media was in, in existence and a thing, people's lives and decisions that we made were, were influenced by things called opinion polls. And they just took the opinions of the mass populace and whatever was popular, that's how politicians made their decisions. Popular thinking. Popular thinking can either either make you countercultural or it can it can quieten the voice within you. Social acceptance can make you a, a crowd follower or 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 somebody who actually wants to be totally countercultural in the way that they live. When I used to leave my house as a young teenage man, my mum would say to me, You're not going out dressed like that. And I'd say, I am. I just want to be different. I used to dress oh, it was awful. But I'd leave my house and I'd walk around a corner and I'd join a bunch of young people <laughs> dressed exactly the same as me. I didn't, I didn't want to be different. I wanted actually to be accepted and I wanted to fit in. And for all the rhetoric of everybody wanting to be different and wanting to be unique and wanting to stand out, everybody, most people want to fit in and be accepted and cared for. And for fear of rejection from that social system, people stay silent about their interest in what Jesus actually says. Which is an amazing thing. These people stayed silent. They, they didn't want to follow him. They, they loved the praises of human beings more than friendship with God. 
and like I said, it, it's not a new social media thing. It, it happened before social media. Hey, it even happened 2,000 years ago. There was this man called Pilate at, at the end of, of Holy Week on, on Good Friday when he gives Jesus up to be crucified. The Bible says this, that Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. Absolutely knew that he knew that he knew that Jesus was innocent. But because he wanted to please the crowd, because he wanted to go along with popular opinion, he gave them permission to crucify an innocent man. Social pressure stopped him from speaking out about what he knew was actually true. That's, a, that's an amazing thought, that social pressure would do that. After three years of miracles and teaching, people were still afraid to speak out and say, you know, I actually think Jesus might be who he says he is. They're actually afraid to, three years, three years of walking around, opening the eyes of blind people, making, making gallons and gallons of wine, walking on water, calming storms, uh, healing cripples at pools in Bethesda. After three years of all of that stuff, people were still socially pressured into not admitting who Jesus was. And Jesus couldn't convince them to do otherwise. But you know what? If Jesus couldn't convince them after three years why do I bother? Why do I bother driving out in the middle of the forest and standing by a beautiful waterfall to, to do this? Why do I bother? Why do we bother going to Michael's house last week and, and, and Michael baking cinnamon buns? That, by the way, he ate all of them before his wife got home. So why do we bother doing that? Well, we bother because of what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit sent from the Father to lead us and draw us closer to the Son. You see, I never know, and Michael never knows, and Mark never knows, and Danny never knows, none of our speakers ever know who is listening to what we say. And we don't know when the Holy Spirit is drawing those people to follow the teachings of Jesus. Well, all the pressure is on us to be silent. There's this thing deep inside us that knows that we know that we know that there has to be more than just what we can see, taste, touch, <laughs> and experience. There's gotta be more than this, as beautiful as it is. Who left this here? What if it's designed and, and, and society wants to push us away from those thoughts? It wants to keep us silent. You know, one day I was walking into a convenience store, like a little mini mart convenience store. I went in there to buy milk and there was newspaper spread out on the top counter of this mini mart, this convenience store. And as I walked through the door, Early on in my journey of, of trying to figure out whether Jesus' teachings were true or not, as I walked through the door, I heard these words. The man behind the counter 
said these words right out loud in front of everybody in the store. As I walked in, he said, typical, typical Christians, they're all liars and perverts. That's what he said the moment I walked in the store. Now he wasn't talking to me, he was talking to everybody because on the newspaper headlines that were on the counter was a story about a vicar, a minister in England abusing kids. And as I heard that, all of the social environment in that store and all of my social upbringing to that point made me want to be quiet and to climb up and, and not to say anything. But I knew that it wasn't true. I knew that. And so in the middle of that store, I decided that I was no longer going to be silent. I said to the man behind the counter, and I knew his name, I won't tell you. I said, actually, that's not true. And he looked at me, big guy, looked at me, he said, what do you know about it? I said, well, actually, I'm a Christian, trying to figure out what being a Christian means, and I'm not a pervert or a liar. And I stood there and for a few seconds just told him how God had changed my life. I walked out of that store. <laughs> I, was, I went, yes! Because, because at that moment, I, did, I forgot to buy the milk. I actually forgot. Because in the joy of that moment, I knew that right then I was in the middle of the plan and purpose of God for my life. I knew, I knew. And I'd broken my silence. Because seemed like Holy Spirit was with me and had teed it up that I heard those things being said and I was given a choice and who knows I wonder I wonder I wonder today as you listen to this whether you think hey maybe I'd like to know more maybe Maybe some of the promises that are in this book are actually from me. Maybe that's what you're thinking. I'd like to invite you. I really would. I really would like to invite you. That we, that's, that's you, me, us, decide to find out whether the teachings of Jesus are true. Hey, it's Easter. If this is true, he did all those miracles and I have to decide whether I'm gonna stay silent about it. I have to decide whether I'm gonna try to live following the teachings of Jesus. Do you want to know more about that? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would have the courage and the guts to make a decision that lets us verbalize and tell people that we actually want to know if this is true or not. 
that we'd stop blundering about in the darkness of our society and, and, we, and we'd, we'd stop being silenced by fear and we'd open this book and we talk to other people to figure out whether the teachings of Jesus are relevant in the 21st century. Help us to do that, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, bless you. And uh, happy Holy Week. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him for you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah!
You are faithful.